are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we talk with friends and experts about the things kids share with us and about making a world that honors children's voices. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine French-Cully, and you are listening to Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights, I have a problem Dear with controlling my temper. I have your Hello, listeners. We're glad you're here with us today for a conversation with a friend of Highlights. We're doing something a little different in season two of this podcast. Every other week, we will pause to check in with someone who is really honoring Highlights' belief that children are the world's most important people. I'll be joined for these conversations by one of the most thoughtful parents I know, who also happens to be our dear Highlights producer, Hillary Bates. Hi, listeners. Glad to be here. Our guest today is Nelba Marquez-Green who is a clinical fellow of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. Nelba has worked in private practice, community mental health, and academic settings for nearly 20 years. She is the founder of the Anna Grace Project, a nonprofit whose mission is dedicated to promoting love, community, and connection for every child and family through three lead initiatives, partner schools, professional development, and music and art. It is named after her daughter, who was murdered in 2012. Nelba, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about how we can make the world a better place for kids. Thank you so much for having me. The rallying cry for your work is love wins, and we really love that. But before we ask anything else about that, we'd like to take just a moment to remember your daughter, Anna. Can you tell us some things that your daughter, Anna, loved? Sure. So the first way I'll start is by telling you that if she were here right now, she would probably put her hand on her hip and say, it's Anna. So she liked to have her name said Anna. And um, anytime it was said Anna or it's spelled with an extra N, she would just give you a sassy little reply. So Anna, just like many um, of our kids, was a spirited loving, um, had many, most of her needs met and um, really lived a life that we want for all of our children, a safe, healthy life full of promise and uh, joy and ease. And um, all of that was steady and going well until the unfortunate and life-changing events of December 14th, 2012. So, Anna and her big brother Isaiah um, were very typical children with um, their needs met. It is what we want for every child uh, in our families. And and many of them who subscribe to your incredible magazine, they both, both of my children had subscriptions to highlights. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. And thank you for um, helping us get to know Anna a little bit. Um, we're sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the rallying cry of your movement, as we said, is love wins, which is a powerful statement of belief. And the second part of the slogan is also powerful. Love saves lives. 
Can you talk more about what you hope that conveys? We hope that people would remember that um, we live in a world that promotes um, many different uh, things in terms of the wellness of children. But what we know, what research states and what we know is that the more uh, healthy relationships a young person has with adults, um, the more securely attached they are, the more likely they are to be able to overcome um, traumatic events and live joyful and fulfilling lives. So when, when I talk about saving lives and, and love being a thing that saves lives, it, it's not like a superficial or kind of, um, you know, saccharine thing. It is a real thing talking about attachment, talking about relational wealth, and, and that these things should be in place for our children and for our families before tragedy if we want them to be able to endure tragedy in a, in a ideal world our families would not have to think about overcoming tragedy and traumatic events. I would love to live in a world where natural disaster and um, accident and crime don't happen or, or illness, catastrophic illness. Unfortunately, they do. And one of the ways we know sustains families through processes like this, and therefore um, our children, is by secure attachment. So when I say it saves lives, that's what I'm talking about. Nelba, I am so struck by the phrase that you used, relational wealth. I think it's so important to think about this right now during the pandemic when so many kids have been cut off from caring relationships in their life. Um, I'm wondering, you know, in the work that you do and as you're thinking about it, how can we make sure that kids are getting that relational wealth development that they need in this crisis we're living in right now? Um, the first thing I like to say to parents is please, or to caregivers, is please don't be afraid to ask for help. We've gone from a society that had maybe six to eight loving adults per child to help raise um, a, a, a little person. And now we're, we're kind of we're, we're pretty fortunate if six to eight children have one uh, person attached to them, right? We used to live in multi-generational communities um, where families had support. And now we kind of live in a world where we send these messages that families should be able to do so much alone. And in fact, that's not true. I would hope that families would be encouraged to ask for help. I base a lot of what um, I'm talking to you about now based on a researcher named Bruce Perry. Um, and he, he authored a book called, he, he's authored many books. One is a boy who was raised as a dog. And one is a most recent um, uh, publication with Oprah Winfrey, actually, What Happened to You? And um, he talks a lot about this concept of our young people needing that kind of support. And not only that, but our caregivers um, being able to live in communities where they're able to be supported without shame. And that's really important to send messages to families. You actually can't do this alone and you were never supposed to do this alone. Please ask for help as needed. We are here. I really love that. It highlights we often talk about uh, our efforts to urge kids to ask for help. But uh, I was talking with a friend recently and we were lamenting how um, young mothers in particular 
don't seem to have the opportunity or take the opportunity to sort of sit at the feet of older women who uh, have learned, you know, from experience and who might have much to offer. I mean, there are lots of ways and lots of places you can go for help, but we were struck in that particular conversation about um, how that seems to be a missing element that could add so much richness and support and nurturing to families. And the most dynamic programs in communities nationwide are the ones that are replicating those kinds of relationships, whether they're mentor or peer-based or um, any kind of teaching with um, community educators. The most dynamic programs are actually replicating those missing pieces. And it's exciting and dynamic work. Unfortunately, what happens with adults and caregivers, though, is they internalize these messages that they should be doing it all alone, when in fact, that should never be. Melba, one of the um, pillars of the project that you work on has to do with music. And I was really curious. I wanted to hear from you um, more about why music is so important for kids and how it can help them. First of all, music stands on its own. It is intrinsically powerful, intrinsically important. So when people justify the music program by saying it's going to help with math, I'm not a huge fan of that. I say the music stands alone and it's a great thing, a great skill, a great um, outlet for, for just like art, just like, you know, so many other things. However, one of the reasons it's important to us is it's a, it's a, it's, it's a family, um, both my, my, my husband and myself were musicians. Uh, my, my flute player. My husband's a professional musician. Um, he is a professor of music at, at a local university, and it was really something as a family we could do together. But one of the things we know about healing is that one of the essential components is um, rhythmic movement. So music embodies and captures one of the essential components of, of healing. So in the very beginning, when we were in deep and intensive early grief, um, one of the things Bruce Perry would say to me is, have you moved today? Anything with rhythmic, repetitive motion is going to help with the trauma, help with regulation. And uh, that's another reason that um, we feel music is is pretty essential. And the more we disconnect uh, children and families from those things that heal us, not just therapy, but music, but nature, but outdoor, anything outdoors, the less likely we are going to be to access those healing pathways um, that we know are critical to survival. And not just survival, but thriving. And that is just so important to us. So I will tell you and your listeners that in the fall, we will be uh, uh, opening, will be the grand opening of the Crack Anna Grace Academy for the Arts, which will house pre-K through eighth graders in a I think it's like 56,000 square feet facility where all children will have access for free to music, arts, as, a, as well as a rich academic education. Beautiful yeah. contribution to the world. We're so uh, happy to hear that you're going to have that success. Making future yeah, artists, cool. making future leaders. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we really lived in a world where we honored the idea that Every child is among the world's most important people, which is what we believe it highlights. What other things might we do differently? You know, I come to this with very hard 
one wisdom. But one of the things I know to be very true is if we lived in a world that valued children, we would ensure that all of the adults around them would be safe and healthy themselves. Oftentimes when we look at a family system, when I look at a family system in therapy, someone will come to me and say, my eight-year-old needs help. Well, there's very little power an eight-year-old in a family system has. And while I might very much enjoy and teach skills to this eight-year-old, the entire family system has to change, has to be aware of change if we want better for that eight-year-old. The power lies in the caregivers and with the caregivers. So if we wanted to have a universe, a planet, where children are incredibly valued, we have to call adults to the table and say, hey, are we doing everything we can do to ensure that, we giving, that we're giving the kids in our lives the very best shot? Because we, we are increasingly living in a world that is putting the burden of responsibility for change, for healing, on the backs of those people least able to do it. Um, we saw that primary example after Parkland. After Parkland, we pretty much put superhero capes on those young people in high school, right? After Newtown, we put it on the parents. And I thought very early on, this is unfair. We have to look in the mirror and say, what can we do? Um, and that is very important to me. So I would like to call to the carpet the adults. And that's what my husband and I had to do after Newtown, right? It wasn't just about Isaiah getting better. Isaiah wasn't going to get better in a vacuum. Isaiah was going to be have a better chance at being okay if his mom and dad were doing the great work of healing. And um, I'm proud to say he is a rising junior. He's an honor student. He plays varsity hockey um, at prep school. And he has done a lot of his own hard work. Um, but so have his parents. And um, he just wants to be a normal kid. And I think so many of our kids just want to be regular kids um, in the face of whatever adversity or hardship um, they have been through. Regular kids, not superheroes. Yeah. How optimistic are you that we're making progress I see lots and lots of movement in the right direction, um, much of it being led by Black women therapists, educators, and healers um, with many different uh, advocacy groups popping up, reminding us that it is not our jobs to save the world. It is our job to be healthy and strong inside and then do the work from a place of joy and um, a place of abundance, not from exhaustion. Um, and I'm so thankful for those ministries, for those movements. Uh, I am myself learning so much every day. And that's what this is all about. It's about both carrying expertise and being open to new learning um, every day, asking myself, um, Am I, am I taking care of Nelba today? Am I doing the work of healing as well as myself as, as well as other people? It's about carrying that balance. So I'm optimistic because I see people saying, no, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to be exhausted. And, and, and I, I recommend this to parents too, because so often I see parents and they are just running ragged. And I'll ask, when was the last time you rested? 
And they can't answer that because we feel exhaustion means good parenting. And actually exhaustion can mean uh, less than stellar parenting. And, and we need those moments of respite for sure and care for ourselves. So I am optimistic. You know, Nelba, this podcast started based on the letters that kids write to Highlights. And one of the things I'm struck by about what you said is that when kids write us about things that are going on in the world that upset grownups, their perspective is in the small world that they live in, the parents in their house, the teachers in their lives, their friends and their siblings. That is really the world of children. And so I think what you're saying that adults need to invest in themselves and nurture their own relationships and social strength and have community so that they are ready to answer the call because it is us in the lives of children who have the most opportunity to make their worlds better. Um, so, you know, we're really, uh, I think what you said really resonates um, with us. And, you know, we uh, join and support your call for grownups to, to do that work because we have the power right now in the lives of every kid that we know to offer them a better world. And, you know, kids have a kind of uncanny ability to um, discern whether or not their parents are able to uh, handle the burden of truth that they might want to give them. I mean, we think that's why we know that's why some kids write to us instead of speaking to their parents about a concern. They're afraid their parents will uh, either be disappointed in them or will worry too much or will um, be too upset. So uh, if we do want to keep that line of communication open with our kids and be there for them when, when they're, they need us, uh, it is super important for us to make sure that we are healthy and strong and ready. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Is there, um, if folks want to support the yes. uh, project, um, where, how can they do that? What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So I'll offer two um, uh, uh, places. If, if parents are looking for unique and individual ways and caregivers to support themselves and want to do more work in there, they can access www.thisgrievinglife.com. That's my website personally. And if folks want to learn more about the Anna Grace Project, the humble work we do in our little corner of Connecticut, they can reach out to me at www.onagraceproject.org. And again, I want to tell you that for the years that um, we were here um, and had both of our children living, Highlights Magazine really was in fact that a highlight and always a joy to, to have in our home. The day that it would be in the mailbox and the kids would run um, to read it and, and just kind of devour the, the good information. Um, you, you just provide so many wonderful memories. So kudos to you, to your staff. Uh, we live in such a changing world. Um, and I'm glad some things like highlights uh, don't change. You've stayed consistent with your mission. And we are just one family that says thank you. Oh, Nelba, thank you very much for your kind words. And we are so grateful that you spent time with us today to tell us about uh, the Anna Grace Project. Best wishes from all of us at Highlights. Thank you so much. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are honored to be able to elevate kids' voices 
And imagine a world where grown-ups take seriously kids' concerns and act on them. Whether a child's concern is big or small, unique or universal, serious or sure to work itself out, it's real to the child and matters deeply. We've come to see that in every letter kids have sent to us over the years, there are implicit, overarching questions embedded within. Do you care? Am I loved? Do I have a place in the world, a place in the lives of the people I love? We hope kids believe us when we say in many more words, yes, yes, yes. Let's all lean in to give kids what they really need and want, more listening, more understanding, and more connecting. This podcast is an extension of the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available now wherever books are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hilary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher. <laughs>